Okay, good morning. It's great to see everyone, especially, especially great to see Rocheli. Rocheli, welcome home. And to see, I wasn't finished yet. And of course, my mother-in-law. So it's always great to see. Um, all right, we're continuing our weekly dose of Amuna, our weekly Amuna support group, our weekly Amuna exercise group. I was actually learning earlier this morning with somebody about uh, something on the parsha about Dvekas. We're going to get to a little bit about it. Yosef, Shem Shamayim Shkuru Befiv, how Yosef always was dripping with talking about Hashem. Everything off of his lips, everything, everything was always, every opportunity to sneak in, this is from Hashem, we turn to Hashem, we thank Hashem, if Hashem allows, if Hashem helps, and, and the impact that Yosef had by doing that. So um, the, the Dvar Torah we're learning is emphasizing the notion of dveikos, of the concept of clinging to Hashem as being the essence of life, and that the more one surrounds themselves with inspirational figures who lift them, the more that they will be in a mindset, the greater the environment will propel them to live the life that they want to live. The people we surround ourselves with often very much impact and define us. Um, you know, I always say, try, try to be around people that bring out the best version of you, not the worst. We all have people that, you know, they, they, they bring out the negativity in us, or they bring out the Lashon Hara in us, or they bring out the jealousy and envy in us, or they bring out the materialism in us. They, they drain us. You walk away from that interaction and you're exhausted, you're tired, you've lost your energy, you've lost your optimism. And then there are the people that you interact with who it's just, it's like you're energized by it. It's, it's a dose of caffeine. You walk away and you're, you're inspired, you're energized, you're hopeful, you're optimistic, you want to change things. So it's all about who you hang out with and, and being around that dveka. So um, the, the muscle is like going to the gym. You know, if you stay home, the, the piece was talking about the fact that it takes mysterious nefesh. To connect and cling to the tzibur, to connect with those who will elevate you, sometimes takes mysterious nefesh. It's easier to stay in your house clothing than get dressed and go to the shir. It's easier to get into bed and go to sleep than make it to the event, to make it to the opportunity to be inspired. It's easier to, it's always easier to blank than to go and do that activity that's going to leave you inspired. It takes mysterious nefesh. It takes self-sacrifice. It takes work. It takes calculating your time. It takes your resources and so on. Um, but that mysterious nefesh is what brings the reward. That's how you get inspired. So I said it's like going to the gym. You know, if you sit at home, then it's hard to be inspired to be exercising, to be eating right. You go to the gym and you see people who are fit, people who are working out, people who are working hard. You see the results and the way they walk around. It's going to inspire you to want to be more like that, and that has an impact. So the, the, the Mesiris Nefesh comes not in the gym, of course it comes in the gym, but the Mesiris Nefesh comes getting to the gym. That's the hardest part. Once you're in the gym and you're surrounded by people who look great, and they inspire you to want to feel great, and to be healthy, and to work out, of course that's where the work happens, but that's not where the effort, where the Mesiris Nefesh comes in. Where it really takes conquering is to actually get there to begin with. And the same is true with the tzibors, to get to the shears, to get to the shul, it's to get to the chesed. It's to, once you're there, you're inspired by it, you're lifted by it. But it's to get there, that's the hard part to begin with. Okay, we dedicate our learning as we do every week in the Emunah Shir to Shendel Gittel Bas Chaim Shol, Neshama Shdav and Aliyah, and Rafua Shlema for Tamar Adina Bas Kena Shulamas from Baltimore, who we know we're all still uh, davening very, very hard for. So we're on page Mem Dalet in the Siva Shalom. We're continuing... Is Yisodei Torah the Pirkei Emuna, the discussion of Emuna, and we spoke about uh, last week. We last left off. We spoke about the idea that Emuna is not all or nothing. Emuna is not absolute, but Emuna has ups and downs. Emuna has 
um, it waxes and it wanes. There are times you feel incredibly close. There are experiences in life. There are things that happen where it's undeniable. It is as clear as anything in your life that there's a Rebona Shalom, that He loves us, that He caused this, that He interacts with us, that we can lean on Him, that we should thank Him. There's absolute clarity. You're on cloud nine. And then there are moments where you could not feel further from Hashem. Where is He? Where is He? He's, he's nowhere to be found. And why am I going through this? And so on and so forth. So one should not think because they struggle with Amuna or that there's ever doubt introduced that the Amuna has no value. Amuna is not an all or nothing. And we left, left off with this word that I love that Ha'amanti ki adaber. We say it, we'll say it in Halal every day of Hanukkah. Ha'amanti ki adaber. Anyanisi ma'od. Ha'amanti ki adaber. Believe me when I say ki ma'od that I've struggled, that I've suffered. The Salam Rebbe reinterprets it. Ha'amanti, I have Amuna ki adaber. Because I speak about Hashem. I have Amuna because I talk about Hashem. And this is so critically important is that there are things that we know cognitively, there are things we know intellectually, but the challenge in life is to be mindful of it. We know we shouldn't eat this, we know we should exercise that, we know that relationship needs work, we know this, we know this, we know that. There are all these things that we know intellectually and cognitively, but because we're not mindful and cognizant of it, because it doesn't, it's not part of our, our consciousness and conscientiousness, so we don't do it, even though we know in theory we should. And that's you know, the introduction of Mesil Sashanam, the Ramcha writes in his introduction, I have nothing radical. I'm not telling you anything new in this book. All I'm telling you is what you already know. And if you're only going to read it once, don't bother reading it at all. I mean, it's really not very good self-advertising for your book. I have nothing new. Everything I've written you already know. There's nothing radically new you're going to get out of it. And if you're only going to read it once, don't bother buying it. Don't bother reading it. The whole key of the Ramchal says in Sharm is to read it over and over and over again because it is a platform for mindfulness. It just reminds us and invokes all the things we already know, but we need to be reminded of. Like in marriage and in parenting. You go to that marriage class, you go to the parenting class, and, and you listen to things, you say, you know what, that's pretty much common sense. That's nothing really rocket science breakthrough there. But you know what, it's common sense, but, but it's not so common. You weren't thinking about it before you came in the class. You're going to forget to think about it two days after the class. And the reason to have the classes is to be reminded of what we already know. So basically what we speak about is what we focus on, is what we think about, is what we're mindful of. So ha'amanti ki adaber. I have amuna. What promotes, what reinforces, what nourishes my sense of amuna? When I speak about Hashem. So when I invoke Hashem, so someone says... You know, are you going to go somewhere? Is something going to happen? You say, with Hashem's help, if Hashem allows it. How did it go? Hashem is amazing. It worked out perfectly beyond anything I was ever hoping for. Everything came together beautifully. If you invoke Hashem, and, and you know, to a certain degree, we live in a, in a time which um, looks at somebody who speaks that way, not as being the pinnacle of intellectualism, not as somebody who brilliantly knows everything about Hashem, we kind of dismiss that person. We speak in a derogatory way about the person who overuses the Baruch Hashem, Amir Hashem, Chaste Hashem, Be'ezrus Hashem. You know, we describe them as a, uh, I don't know, like a Mechlala girl in her year in Israel. Baruch Hashem, Amir Hashem, and so on. But, but we should be reassured to know that none other than Yosef HaTzadik is described as speaking exactly in that way. And that's this week's parsha. In this week's parsha, it says, Vayihi Hashem es Yosef, Vayihi Ish Matzliach. When Yosef is dismissed by his brothers, he's sold into slavery, he comes down to Mitzrayim, and he's living in the house of Potiphar. Hashem es Yosef. What does it mean, Hashem es Yosef? should have said Hashem im Yosef. Hashem is with Yosef. 
What does it mean, Hashem es Yosef? And because Hashem es Yosef, vayi ish matzliach. Because of that, Yosef is successful. Yosef finds success. He's got the golden touch. Everything he touches turns to gold in the house of Potiphar. And vayar adonav ki Hashem And then Potiphar sees, wow, I hired this Jewish accountant. My whole business is turned around. It's unbelievable. I hired this guy, Yosef, this Ivri, who I don't even know where he came from. I bought him in the slave market. But from his accent, I can tell he comes from the Hebrews, the Jewish people of Canaan. And I don't know what's with him, but I see, I see God is Ito, and everything he touches turns to gold. Everything he touches is super successful. So what does it mean, that God is not with Yosef, He's S Yosef. So Rashi on the spot says, what does it mean? Kyashem ito, Shem Shamayim Shagur Befiv. Shem Shamayim Shagur Befiv. The name of God is ever present on his lips. Yosef is a Michalaka. Yosef's a Shana Bed girl. Baruch Hashem, Mirza Hashem, Bezus Hashem, Chazda Hashem. Yosef, just everything. How's your day? Oh, Baruch Hashem. Oh, Mirza Hashem. Shem Shamayim Shagur Befiv. So how does the fact that the master, Potiphar, all of a sudden his portfolio goes up, his real estate is flourishing, his farm is growing, everything is working out great for him. His bottom line revenue, his profit margin, everything is incredible. And he attributes it not only to Yosef, not to Yosef's acumen or his brilliance or his, or his uh, professionalism, he attributes it to Yosef must have a direct line with God. How does he know anything about Yosef and God? And the answer is very simple. Because Yosef does not hide the fact that he believes in, that he believes in God. You know, I often like to say that it, it's really sad that we, the Jewish people, are somewhat insecure and defensive about invoking God's name. So, you know, we're nervous. We're going to make people feel uncomfortable. We're going to make them awkward. The whole conversation is going to become awkward. So we leave the God thing to shul. And we go to our business life or we're talking to someone at the gym or online at the supermarket. We just keep it neutral territory. We don't want to scare anybody. But if you interact with an evangelical any evangelical, they're shem shamayim shkur b'piyim. You interact with an evangelical and everything off their lips is, what God wants, if God wants. So there's an evangelical pastor who, who, who runs the Hispanic uh, evangelical movement. Hundreds of thousands of pastors, maybe millions of evangelicals. He's it's, it's tremendous. And he loves Israel more than our whole shul combined. All he does is talk about Israel, calls me, what can we do for Israel? Let's go meet the president. All the time, Israel, 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 Israel. I was once meeting with him and we were trying to plan something and we weren't sure exactly, it was a very delicate issue, we weren't sure exactly what to do. We were going to meet with someone and how to bring it up. And he sat there and he says to me, you know what, let's take a moment and let's pray on it. Let's ask God to give us some wisdom. Let's ask God to, to try to reveal to us, to try to strengthen us what the right thing is. And I was like, wow, that's, wow, Really? That's, that's really, I guess, what we're supposed to do is when you're filled with doubt, you're not sure what to do, you're in an uncomfortable, a difficult situation, you're supposed to pray on it. You know? And everything from him was, that this, there's no coincidences, God made this. I had gone to see a prominent, at the time, congresswoman, and he was the meeting after me, and we weren't scheduled or coordinated at all. And it was Purim time, actually. And he afterwards was telling me, oh, it's unbelievable, just like the story of Purim. God, it looks like coincidences. But you, you went in, then I went in right afterwards, and we both told her about the Esther moment. And uh, isn't it unbelievable? God, 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 God orchestrated it. God's amazing. It's all God. It's all God. Let's pray on it. It's God. 
And here I am, like, okay, don't bring up God, just keep it neutral, don't make anyone uncomfortable. So Yosef's not that way. Yosef is a businessman, he's a professional. He's working, he's running the house of Potiphar. He's the CEO of Potiphar's company. He's the COO, he's running the company. And what does he do at every meeting? If God wills, with God's help, let's pray on it, let's ask God to make it successful. Isn't God amazing? Let's thank God. Let's take a moment to thank God for how well that turned out. Shem shamayim shgur befiv. So much so that when Potiphar has to credit Yosef, he doesn't credit Yosef with his being a professional and being brilliant. He credits Yosef with the chol asher his master sees, wow, this Jew, this from Jew, this Ehrlich Jew, he, God dictates everything. Ethical, honest, integrity. And he asks God for help with everything. He thanks God afterwards with everything. And you know what, says Potiphar? It's working. <laughs> it's working. My business is doing great. And he doesn't, as many of us would sarcastically or cynically say, well, it's a coincidence, it's working. Yes, he happens to be talking about that. He's a religious guy. But it also happens to be the whole market turned around. The whole real estate is booming. Everything is good. It has nothing to do with that. It's so compelling to Potiphar. It's so unbelievably compelling to him that Potiphar can't help but conclude, wow, this is working. But the Pasuk says, Vayish matzliach. Because Yosef, Shem Shamayim Shkur Befiv, therefore, he's Ish Matzliach. Because Yosef constantly invokes Hashem's name, that's what makes him an Ish Matzliach. What does the word Matzliach mean? Successful. It means successful. An Ish Matzliach is a successful person. What, excuse me, what does success have to do with Shem Shamayim Shkur Befiv? So I take you now, we're in the book of Breshis, let's fast forward to the book of Dvarim. Towards the end of the book of Dvarim, it says, that we're supposed to observe Torah, keep Torah, chukim, mitzvos, observe everything, embrace Jewish values, Jewish lifestyle, a Jewish way of life, Jewish priorities, leman tatzlichun. So that, tatzlichun. What does the word tatzlichun mean? So that you will be successful. So the commentators, Mepharshim, all ask, come on, Shamarta, observe Torah, mitzvos, and so on, so that you will be successful. Well, how are you defining success here? Is success... A big house, a nice car, fancy clothing. Is success a healthy marriage? Is success nachas from children? Is success good health? What's the definition here of success? And how does, is there a direct purport, is there a direct connection? If you keep Torah mitzvot, you have no problems in life. Laman tatzlichen. It's not, it's simply not true. The Dafyomi just yesterday was telling us about the great Rabbi Yudah Nasi and Rabbi Lazar, some of our greatest Tanaim, who had the greatest Yisurim, Yisurim Shalava. They suffered, I mean, I guess this was the original Ashkenazi genetic gastrointestinal issues, but the Gemara describes that Rabbi Danasi, Rebbe, and Rabbi Lazar suffered such great gastrointestinal issues, the Yisurin, that they suffered, that when they would be screaming from the stomach pain, that even though they tried to um, drown out the noise by uh, over, overrunning it with certain sounds, you could still hear them scream. That's the pain they went through. And the Gemara talks about this Yisurin Shalava, one can suffer because it's God's love. He wants you to get the greatest reward in the world to come. These are complicated issues. I don't, we're not talking about it. We're not talking about it um, right now. How do I get into that? Lamanta <laughs> Sichon. Oh, exactly. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's why she's my Azer connector. So, Lamanta <laughs> Sichon. So, 
You see, Rabbi Udanasi. Rabbi Udanasi is the editor, the redactor of the whole Mishnah. He is Rebbe. He's known simply as his one name, the artist known as Rebbe. He's Rebbe. You don't know Rabbi Udanasi. He's Rebbe. That's how great he is. And yet he suffered. So what happened to Laman Tatzlichon? Vishamarta. Rebbe didn't keep Torah mitzvahs chukim. What happened to his Hatzlacha? That he, you could hear his screams. It says that, that Rabbi Udanasi lived in Israel. But the people on their boats in the Mediterranean Sea could hear him screaming when he, when, when his, whatever he suffered from, Crohn's, colitis, or uh, irritable bowel, whatever Ashkenazi wonderful thing he bequeathed to us. So whatever he was suffering from, they, the people on the boats in the sea could hear him scream. Scream, what happened to Laman Tatzlichun? What happened to the success? So Unklus there says, Unklus translates there in Sefer Dvarim, Laman Tatzlichun doesn't mean success. Says Unklus, Laman Tatzlichun means Laman did his bone in them. So that you are contemplative, so that you are mindful. Vishamarta, that if you observe Torah mitzvahs chukim, you will lead a mindful life. You will lead a life in which you're present in that which you do. You'll lead a life of Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid. Hashem is in front of you all the time. So you're doing the dishes, you're doing it with Hashem. You're at a shir, Hashem's sitting next to you. You're at the gym, Hashem is with you. You're worried about your children, Hashem is right there. You're going to the doctor, Hashem is with you. Hashem is in the room, looking over your shoulder, sometimes holding your hand in everything in life. There's a mindfulness. Torah, mitzvahs, chukim are all designed to be a platform for leading a mindful life. So when you are, when you're, what's the best way to be mindful is to talk about something. The more you talk about it, the more you're obsessed with it, the more you never see, you know, somebody starts it. It's actually going to be next week. January 2nd, everyone's going to be on a diet. Everyone you know. Everyone's going to talk about the amazing gym they just joined. Everyone's going to talk about how this is going to be their year. They're going to finally lose that weight, fit in that clothing, go to that gym, be the person they wanted to be. And by January 10th, it'll all be over. So, but January 2nd, you'll be nauseated by the amount of people telling you all about the incredible gym and you've got to try it out. And this instructor is like nobody I ever had and that's why this is going to be the one and this is why I'm going to turn around you have to come in. And, and that's all they talk about is their new diet. The new diet, all they talk about is the new diet. Why is it someone goes on a new diet and it's all they talk about? Because the more you talk about it, the more likely you're going to accomplish it. What you talk about, you're mindful of. What you're mindful of, you do. If you're not mindful of it and you never talk about it, you're less likely to do it. So saying Shem Shamaim Shkur Bafiv, Hemanti Kiadaber. Why do I have a Muna Kiadaber? The more I talk about Hashem, the more I'm gonna see him in my life. So it's not it's not it's not petty, it's not insignificant to say Baruch Hashem Mirza Hashem Khasta Hashem Ba'ezra's Hashem. It is if you're not thinking about it, you know, if you just develop a habit by rote. It's like Pavlov's dog that you just Baruch Hashem, Mirza Hashem, and so on, so then it's meaningless. But if every Baruch Hashem is invested with a with, with, with an evangelical pastor's Baruch Hashem. If every Baruch Hashem is, is pregnant with, thank you Hashem, I'm turning to you Hashem, I'm grateful to you Hashem. Hashem, I see you behind whatever has happened in my life, or I see you behind whatever I need in my life as being responsible, then Shem Shem Shkur Befiv. And what does that lead to? Vayhi Ish Matzliach. The Ish Matzliach is not the success of money or health, Rabbi Danasi suffered. We have righteous people, bad things happen to good people. To be matzliach, there's not a correlation between if I observe Torah and mitzvot, nothing bad happens in my life. I would tell you about, I once met with a woman who had certain 
major challenges in her life. She was a Balash Tshuva, and she met with me, and she basically told me, I don't understand it, I want my money back. <laughs> she basically said, I, she, she grew up in New York, and, uh, and, and someone was Makari of her, and basically the key of methodology was to promise, as some, I think, very inauthentic major key of personalities do today, is to promise, if you keep Torah and Mitzvot, your life is filled with bliss and goodness and happiness, and Hashem is with you. And if you don't, that's when you're going to suffer and be plagued and have all kinds of problems. As if all religious people have no infertility, there's no divorce, there's no cancer, and all of those terrible things are relegated only to the people who are imperfect in their amuna. And so she basically came to me and she said, I don't understand. I took this enormous leap. I keep Shabbos, I keep kosher, I've alienated my family, I've had to make great compromises and sacrifices, and I'm going through these challenges. I want my money back. What happened? And I said, whoever was Makari of you should lose their Kirov license. It's malpractice what they did. Of course that's not at all what Torah promises. I believe actually this is the conversation, we're going to read it in a few weeks, between Yaakov and Paro. Yosef is so excited when his father finally moves down to Mitzrayim. He's reunited with his father Yaakov. And could you imagine these two pivotal figures in his life? Yaakov is the spiritual giant of the generation who's had the greatest influence on Yosef. And Paro is the emperor of the world who's given Yosef an opportunity and allowed, elevated Yosef to this position of prominence and prestige. And, ya- and Yosef can't wait. The two are going to meet. And they get in a room and boy do we wish we could be a fly on the wall. And the Torah lets us a little bit. And the Torah describes they have this two-sentence conversation. The two greatest alive. And what's the conversation? Paro says, boy, do you look old. How old are you? And Yaakov says, I'm such and such years old, and boy, have I had a tough, tough life. I've suffered. Shkoyach, nice to meet you, Zaygazant. And that's the end of the conversation. That's it. That's it. That's what they talked about. So my suggestion is, that's going on here is Paro says, one second, you've produced these 12 sons, I've met them, this magnificent family. You gave me a Yosef who's brilliant, who's transformed the economy of Egypt. You are a spiritual giant. I've told you of the greatest faith. Your prophet God reveals himself directly to you. I expect to meet you, and you're going to look healthy and robust and have the perfect life. And Yaakov turns to him and he says, I'm old, and boy have I suffered. And I look, Mepharshim explained that Para was taken by how old Yaakov just, he looked, he carried with him the, he absorbed all the life experiences, right? His brother tried to kill him. His daughter is abducted and raped. His son is sold into slavery. I mean, he's not had a simple life. And he looked it. So Paro looks at him and he said, I don't understand you. The spiritual giant, you have the greatest amuna. You should look like a model. You should look like, I don't know what. Why do you look so, so broken? And Yaakov says to him, you think there's a direct correlation between having a Muna and your life being simple. I love God. I have a Muna. I'm a prophet. God talks to me. But boy, my, my life has been filled with challenges. Don't think that a life of faith equals not having problems. What Yaakov was really telling Paolo, in my opinion, and what I think the message is for us, is that Amuna doesn't remove the challenges of life. Amuna gives us the tools for how to, to endure the challenges of life. Amuna gives us the skill set the tools, the strength, the energy, the courage, the conviction, for when those challenges are thrown our way, we can overcome them, we can endure them, we can persevere, and we can stay optimistic and happy and strong. The people with Amuna, they're, they're two people in the cancer ward next to each other. 
And one, and, and, and there's no judgment here, it's a description, an observation. One can be broken and despondent and give up hope, and another can engage each moment of suffering and see the silver lining, the optimism, turn to Hashem with a sense of faith. I'll tell you a sense of faith. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this. I think I can tell this. It wasn't, it wasn't private. But we all know we're davening hard for a young girl, Chavi Yochevet Alexandra Bas Chaviva Tova, who is going through treatment for cancer in New York. She's 17 years old. And uh, her family was very close with a photographer here in Boko. who does a lot of simchas. And he was in New York, so he went to visit her. And at the end of his visit with her, he takes out of his bag a series of pieces of paper and he puts it in front of her. She says, what is that? He says... This is the contract. I'm going to photograph your wedding. I want you to sign. She's 17 years old. He says, we're going to enter the contract today that at your wedding, I'm going to be the one who photographs your wedding. That's Amuna. If you could live with that Amuna, so then that can give you the strength and the conviction for the challenges that you have, that you have in life. So it doesn't mean that you know, your health is unaffected, fertility, everything is simple in life. It means that Amuna gives you those tools. So I want to say the Pshat, by the way, this is all just I wanted to share with you before we started. This was all... <laughs> uh, we have to get to our... This was just on the Parsha. <laughs> this is, I think, the Pshat. What does it mean? To be Matzliach means that if you are contemplative, if you are mindful... If you see Hashem, whatever happens in your life, you're not the victim of randomness and chance. If you're lying in Sloan Kettering and you just think you're a statistic, you know, you, you Googled it and you found that X percentage of the population at 17 years old gets cancer. There's no God. There's no meaning. There's no reason for your suffering. It's just chance. You're a statistic. It's just random. So how do you get through it? If you're just chance, it's random, you're a statistic. But if you think, you know what, I don't understand it. I'm not happy about it. God, I'm protesting it, but I accept that there's a meaning, that there's a reason, that there's some greater purpose to this experience and this suffering. So that gives you the strength. That is matzliach. Hatzlach is not defined by wealth. Hatzlach is not defined by health. Hatzlach is not defined by nachas or marriage. Hatzlach is defined by having the tools and the strength to make it through life with whatever life throws your way. That is the definition of Hatzlacha. Did you have Hatzlacha? I had Hatzlacha. Well, oh, it turned out exactly as you hoped? No, but I had Hatzlacha. Because it doesn't bother me that it didn't turn out exactly as I hoped. Because I know that it turned out the way it's meant to be. That's what it means to be Matzliach. That's what gives you Menuchas Nefesh. What gives you Menuchas Nefesh in life. The people who are anxious and stressed out and debilitated by their lives because they don't believe that there's meaning and purpose and order. They believe they're victims of randomness and chance and other people's um, actions that hurt them. And so you walk around carrying all of that. Yaakov Avinu, the Menucha Sanefesh of Emunah, comes from saying, whatever life throws my way, I'm not happy about it. I don't necessarily accept it gladly. I can protest it and object to it. But I have the tools to get through it and to realize that there's a reason. And that's the definition of Matzliach. I'm Matzliach in my life because I have the tools. I once walked home from Shul, this family doesn't even live here anymore. And it's when we lived in Captiva. I walked home from Shul with a family who had nothing. I tell you, nothing, nothing. The clothing, kids are wearing torn clothing and, and we were helping provide for the family financially to put food on the table. And nothing, nothing. I left the Shul and started walking home with two, two families. This father and his children and another father and his children. The other father is, is lots of wealth. Lots of 
whatever he needs. And that father and the children with all the wealth, you know, there's a sadness in his step. There's challenges, there's many challenges, I mean, people would welcome the challenges that money brings, but money does bring a lot of challenges, particularly with raising children and, and otherwise. And there were family challenges. And then we continued walking towards Captiva, that family was not with us anymore. And this other father and children, I observe, they have a skip in their step. This father is like, just a happy, it's Shabbos, he's so happy, his children, he's telling them stories about Sadiqim on the way home, and this story, and that story, and the Parsha, and he's happy, I'm just watching it. And I'm looking, I say, he has nothing. He's so happy. Who's the Ish Matzliach? The one with the super big house and fancy cars and beautiful vacations and money is no object, but he lacks these other things? Or the person who has none of that, but he's Ish Matzliach. He's got a skip and a step. He's got a smile on his face. He's happy-go-lucky. He's got no worry in the world. Yesterday he wasn't sure how he was going to have chicken for Shabbos. But today he has no worry in the world. Who's the Ish Matzliach? Hatzlacha is not the house and the car and the label and the clothing. Hatzlacha is to be Sameach Bechelko. And how is one Sameach Bechelko? Because of Ahi Hashem as Yosef. Shem Shamayim Shkur Bafiv. What gives you the capacity to be Sameach Bechelko? Because you know that's your Chelko. If you spend your whole life saying, who says this is my Chelek? I want her Chelek. I want his Chelek. Why is this my portion? Why is this my lot? Who said this has to be my lot? I want that lot. I want that portion. Something got mixed up upstairs. I got the wrong portion. I'm telling you, I'm supposed to get that portion. But if you know that nothing ever gets mixed up upstairs, that you get what you're meant to get, and you don't get upset. You get what you're meant to get, and you don't get it right. We're good at telling our three-year-olds that. We're bad at telling ourselves that. You get what you get, and you don't get upset. So that's matzliach. The definition of hatzlacha is not financial success or these other successes. The definition of hatzlacha is the capacity to go through life with the tools to endure whatever life throws your way. So shem shemayim shkura b'fiv, to have Hashem's name dripping off our lips. Ha'emanti ki adaber. You want to strengthen that amuna muscle? You want to work out in the amuna gym? So it's ki adaber. It's talking about Hashem. So this is your homework for next week. This is all of our exercise. And maybe people will give you funny looks and funny faces. But here's my prediction and here's my experience. That in fact, not only will they not give you funny looks and funny faces, but they will actually be inspired by. That if you're in a meeting and you say, you know what, God willing, if God, if God allows, this will work out. Or, you know what, we should be so grateful to God that this worked out the way we wanted. Or... This one's a little bit harder, but let's pray on it. I'm not sure exactly what to do. Let's ask God for help and for clarity on what He wants from us, on what there is to do. But that's the homework. I'll tell you one place where you should have absolutely no hesitation in the world to try it is in your own home, is to try it within your own family or among your closest friends. But certainly with your own family, around the dinner table or, or with grandchildren, is Shem Shemayim Shkura B'fiv, to begin to introduce that language. Yosef is the first Kirov person. In, in next week's parasha, Yosef transforms Paro. Paro calls him out and says, I heard you interpret dreams, I need your help, I had two pretty harsh dreams. And Yosef turns to him, this is an unbelievable moment. Yosef turns to Paro and he doesn't say, what would you say, by the way? You have no family to lean back on, you have no safety net, you have been falsely accused, languishing in prison, this is your big moment. You've been brought before the emperor and he, you, he was told that you have this incredible skill set that you can interpret dreams. This is your moment. You can break through the hardship and the, and the poverty 
and the imprisonment. And he says to you, I heard you're pretty good at interpreting dreams. What would I say? Yes, I am. Yeah, yes, I am. Thank you very much. You know, or, you know, I'm not bad. I try, but thank God. I've had some success. I've had some success. I hope it continues. What does Yosef turn to Paro and say? What? Uh, who, who, me? Oh, no, no, I'm not good at interpreting. But I die. It's not, it's not me. Oh, no, you heard wrong. I don't know. I'm sorry, that's your impression. No, it's not me. God is the one who interprets dreams. He uses me as a mouthpiece, but no, no, it's God who interprets dreams. That's insane. It's, that's, that's, it's career suicide. He tells Paro, oh, it's not me. It's Hashem. And then he keeps telling Paro, oh, it's Hashem, it's Hashem, it's Hashem, Hashem, Hashem. And by the time he's done, Hashem, uh, Paro observes, the Torah tells us that Paro observes, wow, Hashem interprets dreams. Hashem is so good. I trust in Hashem. By the time Yosef is done, Paro is all of a sudden a believer. Paro, this pagan leader of, the, of Egypt, by the time Yosef is done. Now, does Yosef teach him like the, code, the Bible codes, discovery seminar, you know? No, Yosef doesn't overtly, explicitly impress upon Paro outreach. Very subtle, very nuanced. All he has to do is just drip, you know, drop Hashem's name a little bit here and there. Everyone loves to be name droppers. I met this one. I know my cousin knows so and so. Check out my picture on Facebook with this celebrity. You know, oh, it's a, I'm a name dropper. I'm a name dropper. So drop, you want to drop a name? The most powerful, greatest celebrity of all time is the Ribbon Show. You want to drop a name about who you know? Drop his name in every conversation. Yosef drops his name in every conversation and it leaves Paro transformed. It leaves Potiphar transformed. Didn't have much of an impact on Aisha's Potiphar, but it leaves Potiphar, or maybe it's what attracted Aisha's Potiphar, who knows. But it, it transforms Potiphar, it transforms Paro, and Shem Shemayim Shkur Bafiv. It leaves him leading a life of Hatzlacha. He is an Ish Matzliach, and we have that ability too as well. Let's read two sentences and what we're up to, because all of that was just an introduction. <laughs> we're up to the Dalad. On page Mem Fantastic song. Maybe we should analyze this song in the next Jewish Music Unplugged series. Uh, included an amuna in, in belief in the existence of Hashem that He created and that He's manhig. He didn't just create. Somebody can create something, but He's not in charge. So, you know, we had here a couple weeks ago Ari Sasher, I told you about him, the, mm-hmm. the creator, the inventor of, of Iron Dome, and uh, the team that invented the Iron Dome. He's the Bore. Is he the Manig? Let's say you come up to him and you say, I need an Iron Dome battery. You, you know, you live in a particular town in Israel, and you want to call him and say, could you place an Iron Dome battery next to my town? It matters to me. I'd like to take care of my town. Are you the Ma- so Ari, Ari Sasher says, I'm the Bore, I'm not the Manig. It's true I was involved in the design of Iron Dome, but I'm not the Manig. I don't get to decide where it's going. No, when it comes to Kodesh Baruch Hu, he's both the Bore and the Manig. He created the world. He didn't just create the world. He also runs the world. He's in charge of the world. L'chol for everything in creation. V'hu levado, and he alone. He exclusively, he alone. Remember, Ein od milvado, the briskarov, that when you're in a moment of stress, and you're in a moment of hardship, just repeat, Ein od milvado, Ein od milvado, over and over and over, Ein od milvado, there's nothing in the world but him. Ein od milvado. Hu levado, asav, osev, He alone did, does, will do, l'chol amasim. Kol agam inyan, ashkacha pratis, akol abruam amasim. So within this sentence is the affirmation that God has divine providence and intervention in everything. V'chein shehu yizbarach shemo yudea kol masa b'nei adam, v'chol machshav oseyem. And this is very scary. 
Not only is he aware of all that we do, what we do matters. We're alone in a room and no one else is there and what we do matters always. And even he's aware of our thoughts. That works in both directions, by the way. Sometimes you have a good thought you didn't get to bring out into action, but God knows that you had good intentions. On that side, we all love it. Oh, God knows your good intentions. We tell our friend, I wasn't able to visit you, but I tried and I planned, but the flight was canceled. It's okay, God knows your good intentions. Then we're comfortable with God knowing our thoughts. Oh, but God also knows all the things you were thinking about your neighbor, the inappropriate thoughts, the fantasy thoughts, the jealous thoughts, the envious thoughts. Nah, God doesn't know my thoughts. What are you talking about? My actions are what matter. God has no idea about my thoughts. There we're uncomfortable with God knowing our thoughts. No, God knows all of our thoughts. The well-intentioned one and the others. And to Hillam also, Alel. Ramal Kogoyim Hashem. God is exalted over all the nations. Allah Shemayim Kvodo. In the heavens is His honor, His glory. Hashem is Baruch Ram Venisa Eitzel Kolagoyim. Kigam Hematovim Shebehem Modim Boiz Baruch Shuboreakol. God is exalted by the nations of the world. My evangelical friend also sees God. Half of the human beings walking on the earth today are Muslims or Christians, and a tiny fraction are Jews. They get it wrong. But a little bit of it they get right also. Run Venisa Eitzakolagoyim. They also see God, the God of the Jews, the God of, of creation, as exalted. They too can praise him. The mistake of the nations of the world is they think because God is so great, because he's so superior, because he's so categorically unlike anything we could even know or relate to, he is far off. God resides in the heavens. We, the lowly, pathetic, inconsequential human beings, we inhabit the earth. God, the great, vast, boundless, omnipotent, infinite being, He's in the heavens. So, the Goyim also, Ram, they see God as exalted. But where is God's greatness? It's relegated only the heavens. He's not down. He can't lower himself. It's beneath God to be involved in our lives. It's beneath God to be aware of our lives. God's involved and he's in the cosmos. He's in the heavens. That's their mistake. You'll never say hallow the same way again. Such a beautiful pshat. So, they too praise God, but they think that where is he? Al He's not, he can't lower himself to be involved in my life. But we, what do we know? <coughs> who is like the incredible God? <laughs> who lowers himself to see Bashamayim and where else? <laughs> He's not only God is so great that nothing is beneath him. To suggest something is beneath God is to limit God. It's very paradoxical. Now, as they think God is so great, it's beneath Him to come down here. To which we answer, to believe it's beneath Him is to diminish His greatness. We think He's so great that we believe nothing is beneath Him. Therefore, He's Magdi Lashavas. He lowers Himself. Hamashpili. He lowers Himself. The Rosh of Aretz. Hashkachaso Apratas Hi Binyanim Haaretziim Kimo Binyanim Shamayimim. God's providence is not just in the cosmos. He doesn't just decide when there's an eclipse and which stars are going to collide and which planet's going to whatever. He's not just deciding the global issues. Because maybe you'd say God even decides the global issues on earth. 
Will Russia and Syria, we got enough problems there. And what's going to happen with Israel and will the embassy be moved? And what's going to happen with the global issues? Global warming, does it exist? Does it not exist? God's involved in the global issues. But But the me, my pathetic, little, insignificant, inconsequential life, whether I reach into my pocket trying to pull out a quarter and I pull out a dime, come on, that's really God. Gemara Navodazara says, yeah, that's God. You reached into your pocket for this coin, you pulled out that coin, that's God. You reached out for that coin and you pulled out that coin, even though there were many coins, that was God. Hamashpil liros. God is not just Bashamayim. He's involved down here on earth. That's what Emuna means. There is no place empty of God. There is no place that is empty or, or lacking of God's presence. God is so great, He can be anywhere, even down here on the lowly earth. Even down here on the lowly earth. So we're going to stop here. But Shem Shamayim Shkur Befiv, your homework for next week is to talk about Hashem. Next week we'll talk about how that goes. You could use the classics, Samir Tashem, Be'ezra Tashem, Chas Tashem, Baruch Hashem. You can invent your own and share them with us. But the homework is at home and beyond to talk about Hashem and to realize that faith in Hashem is not to think he, He's so great that He's only in the heavens. That's not faith. That, in fact, limits God. To see God as limitless is to know that, in fact, nothing at all is beneath Him. Have a wonderful day and a fantastic Hanukkah.